Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Mantel podcast. It's your friend, Mike. Today's guest, her name is Cléo Dubois. That's fun, uh, speaking French. I don't do that very often. Cléo Dubois. So she is a BDSM instructor and facilitator, teacher and coach. And she effectively uses BDSM as a means for self-inquiry, archetypal exploration, union of spirit and body, ritual, and out-of-body trans and transcendent experiences. So she teaches the skills in order to use BDSM as such a path to individuals and couples, and she does workshops. Now, before getting too much into talking about this episode, I just want to talk about BDSM in general a little bit and my relationship with it. So I know in society uh, at large, it's at least Western society, it's, it's still pretty chargy. Uh, it's not something you would talk about at work. A lot of my goal of life has been to deculture myself of having any shame of talking about anything. And for me, a lot of that's been around sex. And so sex is a regular conversation topic in virtually every one of my relationships. And I forget, <laughs> I forget about norms. I'll be in a coffee shop talking about, you know, the flogging that I just got recently and forget that that's weird. Um, so <laughs> this right now is me remembering that the, light, the world that I live in is not identical to American society at large, and so I want to be conscious of that. And so I wanted to just talk about BDSM a little bit because you, listener friend, may or may not have any experience with it. And if you don't have experience with it, you probably have some set of views and judgments, good or bad, about it. And I guess what I want to ask is that for the duration of this episode, at least, that you just suspend whatever judgments you have about it and let yourself feel into the worldview and journey of a person, Cleo, who ultimately is the most sincere seeker of spirituality, as sincere as anyone I've met, beautiful, heartfelt woman, truly helping people unlock themselves and her path and tool to do this has been BDSM. Yeah, and so at the very beginning of this episode, I asked her to define BDSM, and I'll talk about a just tiny bit what it means to me. To me, it's a form of intimacy where the participants are exploring their shadow together. It's not a perfect definition. It's a working definition for me, but that includes a lot of it. Uh, so by shadow... Yeah, the parts of ourselves that maybe we don't accept or don't allow for or have sequestered off in a corner that we don't ever allow our awareness onto. Maybe we believe these parts are wrong or we just simply can't accept them. We all have these parts in us. So what's interesting to me is maybe you watch the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country. That's about Osho, who's some guru back in like the 70s or something. And he's also essentially a cult leader and he has all these devotees and cult followers and someone may look at that and think how could anyone become a cult leader how do they want power that much or how could someone ever become a cult follower how could you ever give up that much power and here's the thing we're all human each of us contains the entire range of humanity within us 
Each of us has the potential of Mother Teresa in us and the potential of Hitler in us. We all have a cult leader in us and a cult follower. I mean, that's why the Stanford prison experiment is so fucking wild because everyone had a guard in them or a prisoner in them and they embodied those roles so deeply for the guards it was just like the sadistic power hungry control freak inside of each of these guys had never gotten a chance to properly breathe or express itself so once it was given the setting to express itself it ran fucking rampant because it was always there it was always just kind of seek seeping out the cracks and now it had an opportunity to flourish fully and so anyways to me bdsm is a space to explore all of this safely sanely with uber consent, uber communication. It's a place to feed parts of our psyche with depths that are otherwise unreachable. Just digging deep into these nooks of our psyche that want to be expressed because they're real and they're part of us, but we never actually give ourselves permission to feel them or act on them or express them. And with BDSM, you can actually create a container with another person where you pull out this deep desire you have to have ownership over another person or to fully surrender or to be humiliated or to i don't know just like slap someone around maybe that those desires are in you and this path and form is simply a way of um, pulling out and isolating and playing with these different parts of ourselves that don't get any sunlight and why is this important? Well, I think it's important to get to know our shadow and all parts of our psyche for a couple reasons. One, these desires are in us, whether we like it or not. And the better we get to know them, the better we have relationship with them, the more detail and awareness we have around these parts of ourselves, the less likely we'll ever be taken hostage by them. So, I often think about Nazi Germany. It's kind of a crazy thing that people saw themselves do evil things. And to me, I want to be prepared for the worst fucking possible case scenarios of being a human. If I'm ever put in a position where the darkest parts of my shadow come to light, that's not the first time I ever want to see them. Hell no. I want to have good relationship with all parts of myself so that I have agency over my psyche. And on top of that, I think it's just important to acknowledge that everyone has all kinds of desires. And I don't think we should ever put shame on desires. I think that's fucked up. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold people accountable to acting respectfully. But you're an adult. If you want to do something because you want to do it, and someone else wants to do it with you because they want to do it, then that's great. You should go have fun and do that. I think that's an important part of life. So yeah, I think BDSM is important because it helps us get to know parts of ourselves that are otherwise hard to get to know. And also there's just so much shame in these areas because they're covered by a blanket of taboo that it's just a beautiful practice for unclogging shame so that people can get to know what they really want better and who they really are. And for me, it's BDSM is a fundamental part of my personal sexual expression. And so it's a path that I've been called to explore. And I want to just briefly speak to that and why this podcast episode is especially important to me. You know, you often hear people say that your biggest wound is 
your is gives rise to your greatest gift or something along those lines and for me my biggest wound is without doubt in the realm of sexuality i grew up for whatever reason with so much shame around my sexual preferences it was insane i have a wide and diverse range of sexual preferences i'm discovering but there was a point in my life where there were some desires around bdsm particularly desires to be in surrender to a woman dominant and when i was younger that was just not okay with me i i shoved it down so deep i just kept shoving it deeper and deeper because i didn't want it to be true i didn't want to be outside of the norm i didn't want to be weird so i completely repressed my sexuality at least this big part of my sexuality for years and so my sex life was just a fucking mess uh for a very long time until i really started to open up to this part of myself embrace it and investigate it and i'm happy at this point that i have a preference for bdsm because it's led me into some really fucking interesting realms of inner exploration and inquiries of intimacy but for a long ass time it was the bane of my existence this podcast episode is a particularly big deal because it really symbolizes me etching in stone that this is something that I'm fully owning as a part of my walk of purpose and continuing to integrate this into my work. And yeah, because I've firsthand experienced intense sexual shame and so destigmatizing BDSM and all other forms of sexual expression is certainly a part of my mission. But I want to live in a world where everyone loves their desires. So anyways, uh, let me get back <laughs> energetic shift. Um, I talked with Cleo Dubois, and I'll keep this brief because, you know, she's a baller and I'll let her do the talking. But yeah, we talked about a bunch of cool stuff. We talked about her path. We talked about Burning Man we, and her experience at like the original burn. We talked about where on the arc of the BDSM movement we are. We talked about body rituals in order to achieve trance states. We talked a ton about archetypes and Jungian shadow. We talked about ritual and how that relates to what a container is. We talked about negotiation and consent. Oh, so interesting. Also, consent is so important in this world. I can't underscore enough how important consent communication, trust, and safety are in BDSM. And honestly, I believe that about all sexual interactions, and I think that all people participating in sex and intimacy could benefit from communicating more thoroughly. Anyways, um, all of those things, consent and whatnot, are very implicit in safely practiced BDSM. Everything in the conversation falling is under the implicit assumption that it's between partners who have consented to the behavior they're doing, who are doing it safely, and who are doing it with intention and consciously. So I just wanted to put that last thing out there. Yeah, please, if you like this podcast, hit up iTunes, give it a rating, maybe even a review. That would be dope. And you could also rate it on any other platform you're using. Just want to express my gratitude to you for listening. To anybody who's supported this podcast in any way, shape, or form. Even if it's just words of encouragement to me. Deepest gratitude. It means a lot. Thank you for the help. Thank you for listening. That's all I got. 
Thanks for joining. I'll see you in there. Have a blast today. You're probably a cool person. I bet if I'm, I don't even know who you are listening. Maybe I know you, maybe I don't. But I would bet a hot baked biscuit that if we were sitting across from each other right now, we would hit it off probably and we could be friends and drink tea together and give each other fist bumps and be like, dog, you're cool. <laughs> that's, that's my guess about what's possible between us. That to say, thanks for listening. You rock. All right, folks. I bring you Cleo Dubois. The thing I want to start with is just to get a framework because I have a sense a lot of people listening might have varying levels of understanding of what BDSM is or means. And for starters, I was wondering if you could just define or describe what that means, BDSM, to give us some building blocks to work from. So BDSM stands for Bondage, Discipline, Sadomasochism, uh, but really what it really is, is erotic, consensual, negotiated power exchange. So it always has to do with turn on, it has to do with ritual exploration, it has to do with trust. Trust is like the most important thing. So trust and negotiation. And it has many, many different flavors. It can go anywhere from simple role play. We're going to, two partners decided to be playing a, a, you know, what would come to my mind being French, well, French maid and, 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 uh, mistress of the house and they or master of the house and then it could be really that simple uh with just a little bit of spanking with just a little bit of service it could be all the way to full-time 27 24 7 relationship which is more rare but it could also be part of somebody not only erotic life but um uh ex- understanding their own inner persona, which we all have. And in modern psychology, everybody knows they have an inner child. So how about playing with that inner child? You know, so that BDSM stands for all these erotic exploration that are not necessarily directly sexual, but are based in um, desire, fantasies, and consent. And consent being the biggest thing. It's like exploring the shadow. So it's going into the shadow. So it's putting light on the shadow play. For instance, you know, being sadistic with non-consensual consenting people and and giving them intense sensation they don't want, that is not BDSM. However, if you have a partner that really get uh, love to be flogged because it really is endorphin and it may let them go inside themselves and it maybe bring them to catharsis or just simply relax them and make them feel fabulous, then that input is BDSM. But it's always an element of negotiation and always do it with somebody you trust. And on top of it, Good BDSM player, and you know now it's all over. It's really, really out in the in in the main in the mainstream now with all the work we've done for as far as myself. I've done this kind of BDSM uh, writing and podcasting and all of these uh, things for you know more than twenty five years. So now it's really out in the culture, and uh, we want people to continue really understanding that a consent. Uh, is the most important factor to make those interaction possible. There's a lot of stuff I want to touch on in what you said, but but one thing I'm curious about, 
I like what you said about bringing light to the shadow and being able to play with that. And I'm wondering when you talk about the shadow there and exploring those parts of ourselves, what is that? What do you mean by that? It seems a Jungian, uh, the Jungian way of thinking, that archetype have a light side and a dark side. So for instance, if you play with your dominant archetype, let's say teacher. So right now, you know, I'm very much in a teacher mode. And if I was, uh, we're not doing power exchange, we're doing information now. But if I was playing teacher mode in my dungeon and you were my student, I will put you in situation that would be completely inappropriate in teacher mode situation in normal life. Like I would uh, make you feel that you're younger, that you make mistakes, that I can punish you, that it's all for your own good. And that's a shadow. We don't do that anymore in, in teacher uh, student. But it would be because you want to do that, because you have some turn on for intense energy and you find being humbled erotically satisfying it's all you know it also has to do with surrender with the need that we all have to surrender and you know just like and serve somebody you know i really like that dylan song we all need need to serve somebody so it has to do with holding space another way to look at it is holding space so that a person can surrender so the dominant will be holding space guiding the experience and the bottom will be Perhaps if they trust enough and they breathe enough and they, they're clear enough about their desire and the top is good enough to see the energy exchange, which is all this stuff is about energy. And, you know, energy, we feel energy, right? We feel energy. I'm an energy runner, so I can run energy with people because I've done a lot of that work. But anybody that's done any kind of psychedelic knows what energy running is, I think. When you say running, what, what do you mean by energy running? You feel it and you you feel when the energy is tuned in. It's like, let, let me do an old-fashioned yeah. example. I'm very, I'm very old guard in a way. So in a way only. So it's like there is a million radio station, right? And then all of a sudden you click on that one and it's just right. It's exactly the music you want to hear. There is no creakiness to it. It's working. So that, 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 that the music brings you energy and like that, but with a person, it would be like you're you're playing, and all of a sudden you can feel they're they're relaxing, or they're getting turned on, or a look in their eyes, and everything kind of the outside world just stops, and you're in that place where there are only the two of you together, and the energy feels really right, and then you, it's it's a subtle thing, you know, energy can be intense or subtle. If it wasn't about energy, uh, people would like to do things like spanking, would be spanking a pillow. There is no energy in the pillow, it's just you and the pillow, right? Sure, yeah. But with a partner, it's different. So it's about tuning into somebody, which is, you know, this is something that, um, when I was, before I discovered BDSM, which I only did uh, when I moved to the state, actually, way after I moved to the state, I, uh, sex for me was very much for me. It was just for me. I really didn't give a damn about what, what the guy was thinking or doing. I, I was after my own orgasm and my own pleasure. And probably a lot of my partners were also about their own orgasm, their own pleasure. So we were not tuned into each other energetically which is probably why 
people would say, was that good for you, honey? You know, with, with BDSM, it's much more fine-tuned, everything we do. Right. Cool. I, I love that. Does that make any oh, sense? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I love that radio example of like, find it, they're static, they're static, it's getting clear, and then it's like, oh. Because like, you know when you're on the right station with someone. That's exactly right. That's what the energy. Uh, and then, then the timing become right. Then you know not when to slow up, when to see what kind of work to come. There's a lot and a lot of skill involved. Uh, a lot of fine-tuning involving BDSM exploration. There is also a lot of books out there, and a lot of, of there is, you know, there is good books written by therapists. There is like the really simple book by Dorsey Easton, who is a psychotherapist right here in the Bay Area, and, uh, and a, a female friend, uh, Janet Hardy. It's called The New Topping Book. That would be for people who enter into holding space or being dominant. And then for the bottom, the new bottoming book, new because I did several editions. And it's actually even on audiobook, I believe. So there's a lot of information out there. But the basic of it is there's no two scenes that are exactly the same. There is a large array of activity from very light and playful to very intense. There's a large array of possibility from, from having fun and trying something new to going into catharsis and and releasing stuff from your past and or healing. It's just a huge, huge spectrum. Yeah. Well, and one thing I'm wondering about, because, so I personally have a proclivity for BDSM um, and my sexual uh, orientation. So for me, it is in some ways sexually linked, but not always. And, and it, it's interesting to me that like, if I think about power exchange or playing with archetypes, intuitively, it, it, it doesn't seem like it, would necessarily be sexual because we're just expressing different parts of ourselves. And so I'm wondering, like, why is it so often sexual? And I don't know if you have an answer to that. But no, but that's why I use the word erotic. Erotic. Okay. So what's, what would, how would you so discern? Erotic is, is turn on, it's energizing. Sexual could be more like getting to the genital or getting somebody off. I get a, you know, I did professional mistressing uh, for about 20 years. I stopped doing it after I made my movie, The Pain Game, which is actually going to be redistributed. After that, I stopped. Uh, providing uh, male bottom for sex. Oh, yeah? But I did it pretty much for 25 huh. years. And I never had sex with those people. They didn't have sex with me. A lot of them didn't go to an orgasmic place. Or if they, if it was really important to them, I would say, well, do you deserve to come? Mm -hmm. Tell me why. Hmm. <laughs> so it's, yeah, uh, I love that. Uh, and, and then I would allow it, you know, at my feet or, you know, or, directing him or whatever like this um you know i don't want to give too many <laughs> too many details i don't know where your podcast is really going mm. but oh, i mean i'm happy with it it's being all open. based <laughs> on erotic energy on on more modern sheets based on on what on the sun what we want to do and there's you know it, it's very interesting because it for me it's been very interesting to all these years of being involved in in some uh, some bdsm activity pretty much every week, I, I would, for instance, this is from the past when I was providing session, I only work with couples. I only work with couples or private ritual for healing purposes or catharsis. But the, um, 
when I was doing the the the, the mistressing sort of session, uh, I would have spoken to somebody that and I, we made some agreement. And it was, uh, you know, at first it was only by phone. It became his email later on. I would uh, this person would come to my door, and the thought in my head might be. Oh my God! Am I? Am I? How am I really going to work with this? It'd be somebody else, completely not my type. You know, I have no visual turn on for this person. But then, as a session was developed and the energy would start working, I'd be in the loop. I'd be in the turn on loop. That would uh, so like that. So it's a, it's a difference between be, being in that erotic field. That doesn't necessarily have to be directly sexual. If it turns you on, it turns you on, you know, and that's great. Right. But but even it doesn't need to be erotic also. Like you could have... It's energetic, energetic turn Energetic turn on, If right. I'm flogging somebody, if I am, I love being flogged myself, it's somebody good. I'm picking. Mm. Yeah. Somebody, right? <laughs> but if I, it's going to be somebody who really is good at it which, you know, of course, in my community, I know who they are. But if I am uh, flogging someone, I get into that energetic field. And then at the end of the session, whatever it is, I would feel energized. I would not feel, I would not feel down. I would, not, I would feel, we're in this together. There is flow. There is energy going between us. Right. That that makes total sense to me. And I, I guess the thing I'm wondering is um, why so often in playing with shadows is the type of energy uh, an erotic one? It it just it doesn't seem like it, it would need to be, but it, it feels so like such a com- common thing. We cannot see it not being erotic. Mm. So I really don't know how to answer your question, because to me, as I said, a person would come to my door and I would say, wow. Okay, we negotiated about this activity, this activity, this activity. Not in order, no script, no script, no script, no script, no good for me. And then you set the ritual space. So the set, the container in which the ritual is going to happen. And then looking at it as a ritual, coloring the person, saying you are, you know, I am the top for this. Please address me a certain way. Blah, blah, blah. You are your safe word. So if you hear those, if I hear that word red, I'm going to stop, but I won't start again. After that, we'll talk. If I hear the word yellow coming out of your mouth, I will check with you. What's going on? Are you afraid of something? Are the shackle too tight? What's going on? So setting these things and then doing the activity and putting myself present. It's about presence. And if I put myself present pretty much with just about anyone that let me touch their nipple and slowly increase the pressure while I look at their eyes and we breathe together, pretty much there's going to be some turn on right there. Mm, yeah. It doesn't matter what the person looks like. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Male or female or trans. Mm. Yeah, I like that example. I was feeling it just hearing you describe. <laughs> just hearing you describe. Oh, too bad you're not here. We could do it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a thing I was wondering too is uh, when you talk about ritual and container, I'm wondering if for you there's a distinction between those words because so I'm in like a lot of coaching communities, so I hear the word container a lot of, and I guess the way I view what a container is is maybe some implicit set of norms on how the parties are going to behave so if i show up in some i don't know energetic stance 
there's like a, a culture between me and the other person. Um, the things we're likely to say and act and behave. To me, huh, yeah, you're, you're wondering about that. Um, to me, the container is the container in which the ritual takes place. So I did a lot of therapy, you know, as me being the client. So that's a container. The container of therapy is very sure. precise. Yeah. Okay, 50 minutes, or if you do longer, and, you know, the therapist doesn't tell you about their private life and blah, blah, blah. So, so that's a container. To me, the ritual does involve a, phys a physical aspect and an intent, a specific intent and a physical right. I am into body ritual. I'm not into uh, zazen sitting ritual. I'm into something that's physicality. So, uh, of course, that's why I married Fakir and we married each other. We were both into body ritual. So BDSM has a lot of aspect of body ritual. We're playing with the body. If you put somebody in sensory deprivation, you know, a blindfold and, you know, light bondage or whatever, that's physicality right there. If you're just talking to them, I look at this more as a container. And then the intent, you know, the intent, because I work a lot with couples, so we, we have a lot of intent. The intent usually is, you know, the, either one of the two person wants to be a better top or one of the two, the other one want to be a better bottom or they want to uh, be ex able to extend their play or they don't know how to find the link between uh, between what's erotic and how to take it further into their sexuality. So there is, you know, all of this. But to me, it needs to be, speaking for myself, an aspect of physical ness or physical yeah physical exchange for, for the energetic exchange to go through yeah okay so container where there's body ritual there's intention that goes into it and i know you spoke of safe words also earlier yeah safety the safety of safe word and not knowing each other yeah and of course the trust level but negotiation skill to actually teach you know do a lot of teaching and uh, that's what we teach people about negotiation are not just in the words, it's also in the body language, and mm. in the trust level of people. And Got it. So negotiation being exploring desires and boundaries of both parties and kind of creating a map of how to proceed forward? A map, but not a script. A map, but not a script, yeah. The killer is a script. Mm, yeah, exactly. yeah. You have to be able to just improvise. So it's like you know, you know what uh, what is it that you want to do with me that you'd like to explore. So it goes both way. And then what is it that you've done before? So that's a safe terrain, right? What you've done before that you want to do again, you like it for both. And then what is it that you because I coach people. So what is it that you want to do that I am helping with? I'm you know, coaching the two of you with, but you haven't done before maybe with me. So it's usually exploring new boundaries. And then what are your hard limits? What you really, really don't want to go into for now, for now, because hard limits often change. Okay. Yeah, boy, that's something I really, well, one of many things I really admire about just the way the play in the BDSM world of that level of intentionality and communication. Because when I think of like, I don't know, like, what if every time people engaged erotically or sexually, there was that discussion that happened beforehand? 
Well, in my world, I don't engage with anybody that's not kinky. So. Right, for sure, for sure. <laughs> or some level of kink, because I, you know, I, when I bought, when I, when uh, never mind, because I'm a switch. You know, most people are most on some level. You know, it, and again, it changes with different partner and a different time of your life. So you know, different different need, different partner, different time of your life. But I I like that aspect, and also. I like also the fact that the energy can shift so that, so I play with people who have that, like that we can sh feel the shift in energy and then in some level of it, I can be dominant and some I can be uh, the one that's going into surrender back and forth. But that's, you don't learn that right away. You know, at first you have to like pick a spot where you want to be and then see how that feel like. Maybe get a, the right initiation so that whatever images in your head uh, go away and you're really being present. I think it's really about being present, honest, skillful. Skillful being the one that takes time. Yeah. I, I'd also read at some point you had used the words safe, sane, and consensual. Everybody those, knows. Those are standard. Those are the total standard mm. word. And actually, the, they were established many, many years ago during the aid a crisis, a crisis, not a crisis, during the aid, the aid during epidemic the, or whatever. Plague, they, yeah. To me, it was a plague. I was losing a lot of my friend and play partner. Um, that's when it was created. And we actually marched in the march in San Francisco in the Gay Pride March and we were uh, holding sign. If you look at that book, Led of Folk by Mark Thompson, that's a Great, great book, Letter Fork. And you see a picture of me, all uh, signed SM is safe sex. So that's when first SM started coming out when people were being really afraid of uh, direct sex when everybody was dying. So we started like being more public. And that's when those words came out. Now there is risk aware, which is, uh, I think it's crack, risk aware, air, risk aware, CK. I'm not so sure what the CK stands for. Anyway, it's more like risk aware, safe, sane, consensual, and risk aware. Mm, got it. Yeah. Because there are some risks. There are risks of, uh, I tell you, a risk that was psychological. The risks are usually psychological. They are not usually not physical. Although people think, you know, oh my God, no, nobody's going to break your back by giving you a flogging. You don't need to worry about that. So risks are more psychological. So when I started playing a long time ago, during uh, the 80s, um, I had this uh, boyfriend, for lack of a better word, was was submissive to me. And I pushed on him too hard. And I didn't have the negotiation um, skill that I have now. And as I pushed on him too hard, he aged regress. He literally became like six years old. And he went under the bed and he was scared and would not come out. And I didn't have the skill to pull him out. I felt very guilty about this. Now I have much more skill that if somebody starts to age regress, I see it. And I address it. I said, oh, I think I see your little boy right now. What's going on? How old do you think you are? You know, like this. So there's a lot of psychology involved in in the kind of play that I personally, yeah, you know, gosh, I, I see why like trust is so important because you're essentially like allowing yourself to unfold your psyche to your partner. 
that is exactly what it is and a different part of your persona you see right now i just got a hit on you i don't really know how to explain this i got shivers in my neck when you said that so even though we are seeing each other on the on the screen you just tuned in right there when you said yeah that. And I cool that's an awesome like energetic running i guess you could say because through the through the computer hey we're doing pretty yeah, good yeah yeah so so yeah uh, it's uh, really really the trust is really important the honoring the safe world is really important and those are not like you know the people use the word role play those are not really role play they're uncovering and embodying the different pieces of who we are like you know before i got into sm i was very domineering like i was like in your day-to-day -day life yeah, I was being a bitch with my, girl, with my partner, being like, if you don't do that, you're out, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was, I learned to moderate that and just see that domineering and dominance are not the same. And, and submission and, is something, or surrender. Actually, I really don't like the word dominant submission. Really? I like the word, I really prefer the word uh, surrender instead of submission. And for dominance controller, controlling, like a controller and the surrender, you know, like that. I prefer those words. Um, but, you know, dominance submission, the word I've been used. So we have to go with right. what is. Well, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, if, so earlier you were saying uh, through your sexual, well, probably for anyone through their sexual journey, like their preferences change and evolve. And I'm wondering, let's say I have some archetype that comes up that I'm exploring through kink. Do you find that it ever runs? So call one up. Call yeah, one. sure. So it? for me, uh, something that's been coming up recently that I never knew was in there until the last year was this, like, I would just call it an animal. It just feels like a savage the beast. beast. The yeah. beast. The beast is a really good archetype to have in BDSM mm. for male to explore because men that are drawn to BDSM tend to be... This is going to sound elitic. I'm sorry if this sounds elitic. That's okay. But tend to be sophisticated, gentle, educated. And I am not going to add any other word to that because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, sure. But so, so the beast has been kind of pulled out of you by your upbringing, your, your schooling, or the rules. There are so many rules now everywhere. So, so, but the beast is still in there. She's in the it is in the shadow or is in the shadow so to pull your beast out and be able to embody it which a lot of women really like if it's done right it's like you have to be able to control your beast mm, yeah as you are dominating with it so for instance a beast that is very welcome with a lot of women who like to be brought into surrender again you know all of this i'm speaking from my own experience and myself i'm not speaking for the entire yeah, world okay yeah but and my culture you know, i'm french born blah blah, yeah. blah. Uh, so the beast would be i know so let me try to, to say that okay so there are two kind of of bottoms of people who like to bottom there is generally they always want to offer themselves, offer yourself in service because you're in love or you're really taken by this person. You want to please them, you want to serve them. And there's a kind I want to be gotten. When I bottom, there is no way in hell I'm going to offer myself in service. I want to be grabbed and gotten. 
by the right person in the right way, obviously, so that it takes me there. So there is a power, the power by doing and the power by being from the dominant. In my dominance, I tend to be the power by doing. I'm not a sitting queen. I'm the queen on my chariot, I'm going to go get you. That's the kind of queen I am. Yeah, cool. I have a woman friend who is very much a sitting queen. You do my bidding, I order you. When you please me, I'll pay attention to you. You know, other archetype would be like the knight. That's a, a serving archetype. But there's all these different things. So the beast cannot lose control. Otherwise, say, if you start getting, you have to control, you have to be, know the difference in your power between when it's fiery and when it's dirty. And if you start being dirty, you may have to stop. So example, a woman who wants to be taken might want to tease you and it would be a start of play. No, I'm not going to get down on my knees for you. I'm just going to, and then she will taunt you and tease you. And then you grab her by your hair, providing you know how to do this. And you forcefully get her. You remind her first that she had the safe word you know, five minutes before the scene, and you forcefully bring her down, and you keep checking how things are. But you cannot, there is a tendency, which I had noticed in people that discover their, their quote-unquote sadism, which is really, you know, pain is like not intended and not negotiated. Intense sensation is a different thing. So we are playing with intense sensation or intense psycho psychological places. So, hang on, I lost my train of thought on that because I was going too many places. Yeah. Um, explain me, explain Yeah, you were talking about a potential scene of like unleashing a beast, have, grabbing partner by the hair. You, what? you got to be controlling that beast. So you have to keep track of how your partner is. But it doesn't mean, for instance, you have to breathe, stop yourself. Uh, being slapped across the face can be very... Uh, deal-breaking for people who play, but it can also be very turn-on. So that way to play with this. So, so if you really, really want to smack her, you can say, you know what you just did? really make me feel like, like smacking you. I really want to smack you. If you do it again, I'm just going to slap you. Poof, she does it again. Mm, so right, she's... You just got consent right there. Right, yeah. Right? Oh, that's interesting. So those are a little game, but the beast is like, you know, grabbing, you know, grabbing her by the neck, grabbing her by, by your breast, bending her over the table, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, as long as there is consent and the reminding to the people who are being played with, I don't hear your safe word. I, I'm going to continue. I don't hear your safe word. Like that. Yeah, I like that distinction between, uh, I forget the one word you used was dirty and one was fiery, I think. Fire. Yeah, fire. Fire. Green fire versus dirty fire. Right. Just because. Like, like we spark now. You know when it comes out? Let me just finish on uh -huh, that yeah. thought. When it comes out is, so you're lover with somebody. And two weeks ago, they did this thing that was never discussed. That really made you feel really shitty. And you didn't talk about it. And all of a sudden, in the middle of your scene, you remember that, and your fire starts being dirty. Mm. Because all of a sudden, you have that memory mm. that you are 
Oh, right. When you said that to me, <clears throat> that's when you stop yourself. Yeah. That's oh, that's so interesting. You're yeah, yeah. Um, but it's cool because, like, for me, I've gotten to know my beast uh, outside of BDSM also through doing like anger work or doing psychedelics and going into it. And it's cool to see the same animal learning about it outside of scenes with partners, uh, so that I can yeah, use it more I, cleanly. I know, I know about those those realities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so something I was wondering when you were talking about that you're the um, the, the the two types of queens. I'm sure there are multiple. Is, and the type of queen that you are, there is, uh, I forget you, the, oh, the chariot. I think that's what you said. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to show you I'm going to grab yeah, it. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's holding power, but it's a power by doing, a power by being. Right. But the bottom also have power. See, that's when everything is really interesting is that because you surrender in play, you're not losing your power. In fact, you have just as much power as you ever have. It's just that you're in it in a different place. Mm. You're, if you don't psychedelic, you know what it is to surrender. Right? Indeed, yeah. Have you ever done ayahuasca? I have not done ayahuasca, that's, no. That's the biggest mistress of the universe is ayahuasca. It is not a game and it is not even a trip. It's a work. Yeah. You ever are invited. Yeah. It's the that so yeah. would you say the process of surrendering to a psychedelic is the same internal process as surrendering as a bottom? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Hmm. Especially to ayahuasca, which is offered all over the US now, here and there everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But be careful. Ayahuasca is the the biggest learning I think there is. Mm. If it's done with the right channel. Yeah, why do you say that? If it's done, that it's the biggest learning? Because I have a lot of experience with yeah, it. Or what about it makes it uh, makes you... It's uh, it, it will humble you to the fucking ground, no matter who you are. You will be just a puddle. And you will look at everything, everything in your life, everything. And then you'll climb back up. And the right shaman will have you in full power back up totally clear by the time it's over so don't ever do it like with a bunch of friends that put their hand on it my advice to you you can take all of that out mm -hmm. if you want no no I'm, I'm open to it have you has your experience with ayahuasca informed your bdsm journey at all i was very much into my bdsm journey before i, I had those works we call them works and they're very structured you know um no, it informed my process of being older. It informed what was really, really important to me. It informed my work. What is my real, my real work in the world? Which is probably why I stopped doing um, BDSM session with male fantasy in uh, twenty in two thousand and two. Mm. Because it stopped resonating as your work. It wasn't really my work. My work was more doing doing body ritual work with Fakir, doing big hook pull ceremonies and community work and working with with uh, people that were not focused on would I have an orgasm, would I not? Because unfortunately, a lot of straight guys who use the service of professional, you know, they still hang up on that piece. I, Am I really going to have an orgasm or not? And I really didn't want to deal with that anymore. It was just wasn't me. So um, 
So I hope that if some of the people that are bottom out there, straight male bottom would consider that maybe having a great session doesn't mean having an orgasm at the end, they might do a lot better with the mistress they are visiting. Got it. My piece of advice for them. Yeah. Um, mm, okay. One thing I just wanted to return to because I was curious about of um, so using the <laughs> okay. example of you being the um, the queen on the chariot. So I'm wondering, is that an archetype that you've had your whole life or are there archetypes that you found you had but kind of like worked through or, or somehow they went away? Or We all have many, many archetypes. I was first a victim. A lot of people are some level of victimization and we certainly know about the Me Too movement. I was a big victim of a lot of abuse. Then I uh, became a survivor. I uh, I became an explorer out of my surviving. I moved to the U.S. from being raised and schooled in France. So I became a survivor here, and then I became an explorer. There was a lot of free exploration during the, the time I moved to the state. It was, uh, I was very young, but I was eager. And it was like the 70s. And then I became uh, a ritualist. Eventually, I became a... Became, eventually, I became a ritualist, which is really how I see myself and the work I do. Um, the queen is an archetype I, I visit in my erotic dominance uh, practices. Um, yeah. So different, different archetypes and different time get enlivened. Uh, embodied is really more the world that I like rather than enlivened. And, you know, like being part of your life in a really strong way. To your body. Were there erotic archetypes that you embodied in previous parts of your life journey that no longer come to light? Seductress. Oh, interesting. Fatale. Big time. I was big, big time femme fatale when I lived in, in... After the abuse, I became big time into femme fatale, which is like, take the people and use them for your own pleasure and just discard them. Uh, that, that was before I did uh, King. Interesting. I could show you a picture. I have some beautiful. Oh, really? Pictures. Yeah, I would. I would totally love to see it. <laughs> um, also, you know, um, uh, shapeshifter. And I'm not really that much a shapeshifter. More like, you know, I have a sense of humor, so I, uh, I don't take anything really too terribly seriously. Yeah, it's cool hearing you talk about just how your the erotic archetypes that you embody seem to reflect the um the kind of the life period that you're in and how those evolve yeah it does because it's what's going on inside you at the time right yeah you know but the, but the little child is always there you know we never lose that one our inner child we never lose that one it's uh have you ever look at the work of caroline may she's pretty brilliant. can you say her name she's one more time famous. very famous caroline may she, you know Caroline Miss, M-Y-S-S. Uh, no, I haven't. What's her work? Huge follower, huge, many books, uh, uh, many books, many podcasts, many everything, full, big auditorium. She, uh, I don't know if she defined herself right now. She was a medical intuitive. She's a writer. Mm. She's the one that did all the work on archetype. Oh, cool. Uh, I have the book right back there. I actually, she's not into the scene. Mm. But her work is about giving you a sense of what is your archetypal journey. Oh, cool. That sounds so interesting. It is. And 
you probably would really like things this will give you an insight into women that's always um, a good thing i, I find <laughs> but this is brilliant sacred contracts oh cool is that also around archetypes it's all about archetype. It's her first book. It's brilliant. And that addresses men as well. The other one is more about female archetypes uh, or how, they, how we women deal with, with those inner, um, inner resonance, which is really what the archetypes are. Uh, she's brilliant. She's super famous. I'm really glad to turn you on to her. Yeah. And she has a huge presence online. So she has CarolineMaze.com, tons of audio things, blah, blah, blah. But her work is uh, illuminating. Really. Mm, cool. Yeah, one thing I find so interesting about archetypes is, so I also like to dance. That's a big form of expression for me. And dancing cool. I find with other people, similar to what you're talking about with the radio, like we'll find the station and there's some energy we're both vibing at. But it's very amorphous. Like there's no, um, it, uh, we can both feel it, but it, it's it's like a big energy blob. But archetypes are so interesting because we're kind of like putting a framework on it. Like we're, um, we're saying, oh, that blob, this blob is going to be the teacher blob or whatever. And I don't know that about dancing. You know, I, I was very involved in the contact improvisation. Oh, were you? Movement. Cool. Yes. Study with some of the creator of that. Oh, neat. I did teach and all that and so i know about uh, i know about that energy in mm -hmm, contact mm -hmm. part when he, again whether it's physicality yeah yeah so but i don't know how it would be shifting really quickly uh between the different inner reality that we have but i really think that uh, we we always keep hold on a sec let me look at this i uh i got a second Listen to this, the shadow and your divine potential. Living in the shadow, the saboteur. We all have what, see, we have these. Okay, here we go, I found it. These are basic human archetypes. The saboteur is the guardian of choice. Those are not necessarily erotic. Ah, uh, the victim, guardian of self-esteem. The child, guardian of innocence, the four archetypes of survival. Those are the archetypes of survival. Child, victim, prostitute, not as sexual prostitute, but selling yourself, whatever work you do. And saboteur. Really, I think you'd love this book. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, Sacred I'll post a link to okay. it also. Sure, people might like that. So I don't know about the, the movement, dancing... Can you explain? Yeah, I if guess. If you really want to keep on that, then explain sure, it to me more. Sure. Yeah, I guess I've I felt it both ways. I felt it the way you're describing of in contact improv, um, dancing with someone, and the energy's shifting. It's first it's here, and then it's here, and then it's somewhere else, and right. it's aggressive, and then it's soft. But that's a dance. That's a dance. Yeah. If you can do that in BDSM, then you're a really good player. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you have a really good part. Right. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, and then the other type I was talking about was any chance you you know a guy named Stu Phillips? I know, maybe, maybe, and maybe no. Okay, he was just a contact improv teacher that used to live in the Bay. Um, but I no, are you John the fan? Do you know? Did you know John the fan? Uh -uh. Know him really well. He contact uh, teacher Marie, also. Marie Posa studio. Yeah, one of the very people that started the movement. Mm. And it was uh, no, those people are all in their seventies, you know. How old are you? Uh, I'm 28. Oh, oh, hey, cool. I forgot yesterday how old I was. Oh, cool! 
with that. <laughs> Thank you. That is awesome. <laughs> I appreciate okay. that. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I took a class with Stu and he did an activity where he said, okay, look around the room and pick someone that triggers you. Pick someone that like evokes something in you. Now you're partners with them and now just dance with them and let there's something that wants to come out and wants to be expressed. Just give yourself permission to go there. And what I found right. with the partner I was in, it just ended up being like a essentially a, a BDSM uh, scene is what it felt like. Like, some beast emerged from he, me and she had an archetype that emerged, but it wasn't clearly defined. Like we didn't put words on it. It was just this consistent uh, energy of like, this was some big fire energy I had. And this was some big, I don't know, icy energy she had. And we were meeting there for an hour. And I thought it was interesting because it was nonverbal and there was no like, this is a beast. This is a damsel in distress or whatever. It was just like amorphous. Damsel on this class, that's a big one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know what? Energy is energy. Yeah. That you you tie, that you be sensitive to it and that your brain clicking and that you can recognize it's part of yourself that resonates mm. with it. Wow. 28, not bad. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. Cool. You had a million questions. Where else do you want to go with Yeah. This? Another thing I was wondering um, when you were talking about your work, and I, I like how you use the word work. It felt like it had a, a capital W in it to me. <laughs> and I, I was wondering yeah, um, where... Yes. My, I like my work. I, I want my work. Yeah. What's like the current... Where's your work moving you towards? Where's it going now and where's it going next, do you feel? Uh... Well, the reason why I was in such an incredible distress, um, losing my, Fakir was everything to me. He was my mentor. He was my, he was my entire family in one person. He had many personas, but he was more than anything. He was a shaman and a shapeshifter. And we did a lot of work together, especially work involving piercing like hook, hook pulls when you run energy through hooks that are pierced through the skin. Um, you can look at fakir.org. There is a picture of me there with hooks in, on the, in the shamanism part. The site is still alive. Uh, so that, that work is the most sacred work to me. It allows people to journey and to go into different emotions and to go into different catharsis and to go through a lot of release of what they no longer need and calling in what they want. And it's really, really big work and done in community. We've done a lot of these. And then a lot also of piercing work, piercing people with intent. Like we showed this that yesterday for the piercing school. Piercing school keep on going. And there was a young woman, and at the end of the piercing school, we allow, we encourage them when they get pierced. They were learning to pierce, but at the very end, they can receive a piercing for themselves, and the, the teacher do it. And we are we do it in a ritual way with rattles and music. And we uh, I ask uh, I encourage them to speak their truth, say their first name, and say what is their intention for the piercing. And she was getting a belly button piercing, which is, you know, the middle of the chakras. We're working a lot with chakra. People, you know, like the, the piercing on the hooks being the heart chakra, it's more up, and the belly button being more the middle chakra. And she wanted more acceptance of her body. So I hate my body. She was gorgeous. I mean, what did she have to do to hate her body? I said, 
I want to accept my body the way it is. And she got that piercing and she got this huge release. And it was, you know, I don't know how, how long it's going to last for her, but to have intentional activity that use physical practices. Might it be flogging, caning, piercing, etc., etc., things like this. Um, bondage, uh, which, you know, bondage could feel like you're not free, but uh, my friend who was a big bondage affectionate said when the ropes on her body were on her body, the ropes inside loosened. Mm. So huh. inside she would have freedom. Huh. So, you know, because, because of like a surrendering essentially into because of physicality. See, again, we go back into the physical. If there is one thing about this podcast, is that I want people to get that. Do. Here it goes. Listen to this straight from Fakir's mouth. Body is a door to spirit. I'm going to repeat it again. Body is a door to spirit. So the physicality of bondage. So somebody want to be tied up and not move. Oh my God, there's so many men who want that. And not be able to be free. Why? Because inside the freedom, the inner freedom opens. Because that outside freedom is, of course you want to do that with somebody you trust so that when you need to be out, they let you out. So he's an earthquake, they let you out before they go running out of the door. <laughs> which actually happened to me once. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, 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 no. I had a client. I didn't run out of the door. I am yeah, tidy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't run out of the door with him. Right. Wow. He sent me, me cards <laughs> every, you know, thanking me for that. Yeah. So, so you see, again, the physicality of things, that it's, uh, that's my way. There is, and that was what attracted me to my work was that. And possibly because... Being a, a rape survivor, like a, I don't didn't sign that on me too. I don't want to be on the computer, but being a being a serious rape survivor, I uh, my physicality was taken. So it actually makes sense to me that all the work I do is about helping people reclaim through their physicality and explore through their body, and I think that's why I am. Um, I, uh, Fakir and I had 30 years together hmm. because uh, we both knew the value of body ritual. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was really beautiful to, to just hear you put that out there. You're welcome. Well, I guess one thing is I'm wondering if you could talk about um, hook pulls. I think a little bit more uh, just because I know it sounds intense. Uh, I watched some videos of it this past week and it was intense looking, but my sense is that you get a real potentially out-of-body experience or not necessarily there's two way of trancing so hook pull uh, we started hook pull actually Fakir and i started the whole oh, hook pull mm -hmm. movement, including the, the hook suspension the suspension are much uh, very intense they are like now popular all over all over italy mexico london everywhere young young people usually are suspending uh, from hooks, uh, usually in their back or in their front, sometimes many hooks, sometimes sitting position. I have a lot of photo of that. There's a huge movement of body suspension through hooks. And, and there's many people with many different experiences and we have no control of when, where, how, I don't. They do their thing. 
Uh, there's a huge movement. Alan Faulkner was a starter of that. He's the one that first took it. But how it all started for us is we went to Malaysia, and Fakir and I, and we saw book pool and suspension. And they were done. We went specifically for the Thai Pusan Festival. All of these things are ancient. We have the body piercing, all that stuff, ancient. A Native American culture, South, um, South Hindu culture, Ceylon, many, many places. So we are just doing it our way, but we are not inventing right. this. So we went there and we saw the Malaysian. Again, you know, if this was visual, I could send you a photo. We saw, we saw the, the Thai Pusan Festival. It was not advertised. We went to a small place in Penang, Malaysia. We f friended a, a Kali priest, which was pretty amazing. The zeitgeist, everything was falling into place. The guy that was at the hotel who was actually doing the laundry was a Kali priest. And we had archetypal images of Lord Murugan, which is a son of Shiva, who is a brother of Ganesha. And, and we had those images that we had brought with us, so we had them in the hotel. And the guy saw it and said, how oh, do you have this? And we became friends with him. He gave me a card initiation. It's all a big story. That was just like amazing. You know, it was amazing. So when we came back to the stage, uh, before we used to do ball dancing. Ball dancing would be would be threading a clean uh, line, fishing line, through needles, clean, you know, really clean, never use yeah. fishing line through needles, and uh, backward through the eye of the needle, putting it through the skin, only the dermis, the epidermis, and part of the subcontinuous tissue, not through any organ, just the skin horizontally, parallel to the skin, in the skin, but parallel to the skin, and tying bells and bows to these objects. And, um, and I did that for many years. And having an intention of dancing. So this is a dancing thing. So if I want to do it, come and visit me. I have tons of bows. Mm, I can cool. sew more on. You can dance your, oh, cool. <laughs> your, your mind off. Yeah. And do at least 10 balls on the body and just have the right music or drumming. And you can dance yourself to a trance. And you can dance yourself to a trance where you have memories coming in and emotional release and ecstatic and all that. And we did all that. But that took a lot of time to pierce people with 10 and 20 balls and ties and not just right. And, and then we saw the hooks and went, oh, the hooks, two piercing in the heart chakra. Caught clean, of course. Done, not pierced with the hooks. Done, pierced with very good, very sharp needle. And the hooks following the needle exactly at the same time. So hooks, needle, like that. And tying it together. And have a handle so that people can either be tethered to a tree or a post or can pull on each other. Wow, we can do this in community. And we could have like 20 people. And we could have... Some of us know how to do this piercing. We could do all the piercing in one hour and everybody would have a wonderful time. We could have live drumming. And so we started promoting this and doing it in our own community here, which was a lot of BDSM people. So that's where the link came in through that. 
And now it's everywhere. It's in, there is a, a practice called the Dance of Soul, which is spiritually uh, oriented. It's in Arizona. You might have to go next year. I think you can go next year. But they are fantastic drumming and about 100 people and all this station of piercer that pierce the people, two hooks in their chest. And the energy is incredible. And you either go into a trancing in your body, which means you're there. You're present. You're in your body. You're present. Wow. And you're having a fantastic experience. And, and, and you're together and you're in community and you're all supporting each other. And then, you know, the, it's not how hard you pull, it's how long you pull. So it's not like a tug of war. It's more like, you know, pulling steady and looking at each other's eyes. You can feel like you're making love with somebody. Truly, I'm using the word in purpose. You can feel you're making love with someone as you are simply pulling on each other's cords that's on your heart chakra. Yeah, so you're in like this collective group trance? Uh, not really collective because some people travel different ways than others. But but it's in community. I like the word community or other. So, so that's one way to do it. And then the suspender, you know, that's more intense. I've never suspended. I really don't. I uh, don't want to do it, but a lot of my friends have done it, all different gender and body weight and all that. I really like the hook pull because it's under our chakra. Fakir is one of the very few people who suspend it from the Okipa, which is from the front. That's a whole lot more difficult. Uh. So, and some people have out of body experience, like really out of body when they're really out of their body and you know then we are there's a watcher to watch everybody's safe but these practices are spreading you know so for us we did it in california uh spain uh portugal italy wow. london <laughs> more in california there is some of it in portland oregon there is are you there i'm up in seattle Seattle. Oh, yes, I'm coming to tell there as people who are into a hook pull, if you're Cool. I, I am interested. I'm also uh, afraid of it. There's nothing to be afraid of. This is a piercer. It's really good and you breathe. Yeah. All it is, uh, you need, you, you can always ask me if I know who they are. But usually, they are, you know, everybody is, this is a thing about the SM community. If somebody is really shitty, everybody will know. We all kind of know about each other somehow yeah right so yeah that's cool so your skin is clean with betadine uh the piercer is wearing gloves they have a very sharp needle triple bevel not a used awful thing triple bevel sharp needle which is sterile you can see because they put it they put it out it's a piercing needle for body piercing and they pinch your skin because they're good at that, and they push it through as you exhale. Like, and it's One, like kind of above your collar or below your collarbone. No, it's way below. It's a woman's woman cleavage beginning, not on the breast. Um, so it's not up here, not up here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Here. Okay. Exactly yeah, right on here. The One here. One yeah, here. Got it. Okay? So needle. You're breathing, and the piercer is like you're breathing, done. Mm. Then the needle sits here. They take the hook, they butt the hook to the needle end and pull it through. When we do this, maybe out of 20 people, one person scream. One. If you're breathing, you're okay. 
and then put a cork at the end right so that it doesn't go back into your skin and the hooks are not really big then my kitchen i have a whole bunch in the kitchen right now oh, cool there may be 11 gauge so if you want to do your own research look at 11 gauge needles and um and when and you're high you instantly get high you're instantly high yeah wow and then within five minutes you start coming down and that's when the pool start and the pool is rebuilding that energy and sustaining it right and that so do you think it would have because uh, i know you're talking doing it in the heart chakra it would have a different effect if you did it say over like your belly or something over a different chakra we don't do it there if the skin stretches the wrong way oh, okay and it would be more painful this is really completely not about pain the hook pull is completely not about pain so it, i'm speaking to you from all the work we've done we don't do it on the arms. We don't do it on the legs. Yeah. The work we do, we do it on the heart chakra or on the back of the heart chakra, which is pretty much between your shoulder blades. If people want the feeling of expansion from both sides, so that would be four hooks, right? Two in the front, two in the back. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's where we do it. Now. Uh, we highly don't recommend anywhere else because the skin is different. And, you know, body piercers have to be doing the piercing so they're not to run with, against the grain of the skin so it doesn't stretch. It also doesn't really leave any mark. Few people have marks. I've done it maybe 15 times. I have just about no marks. So do it once a year. But do it once a year with a very specific intent, only once mm. a year. What's the intent that you bring in? It depends on my life is at. When I do it next year, it will definitely have something to do with Fakir. I did it just before he died. We had a, a gathering in the in a, in a retreat, and uh, we did the hook pull there. And I, it was really about let, letting go of my, uh, my some of my pain. I was pretty much sobbing the whole time. I just went there. Did it? I got a lot of support from people, and I came back and took care of him because it, we did hospice at home. We didn't do any hospital, zero, zero hospital. So it gave me strength. You know, I had to release a lot of my fear. So that was my intention there. I figured next year I will know when I do it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Th thanks for sharing that personal bit there too. I appreciate. It willingness to be honest it's okay it's just you know everybody has everybody eventually is gonna die so i i highly recommend that people don't go to the hospital if they can but do it at home even though it's not it's hard work it's worth it yeah one one other thing i wanted to ask in just kind of zooming out and looking at the i guess there's a bdsm movement that's been happening for a long time just a general sex positivity movement like a feminist movement, all of them probably kind of commingled. And I'm curious where um where do you perceive we are in at least the move the BDSM movement of it gaining public recognition and dropping shame and etc. It's very um I have mixed feeling about a lot of things because it's really hard to let go of where you come from and is everything is shifted. Uh I think it's, you know, the first thing is that it's decriminalized when it's consensual. It's good because yeah. for a long time it was, it was not criminalized, but it was medically like you're sick, you need treatment. You know, I mean, I don't know if you know, but even in the 60s, gay men could have been put in, in jail 
and also being given shock treatment for being gay. R wow, you know? I didn't know that, but that's right. Insane. Right, I have a, for real, for real, shock treatment, psychiatric hospital, all of this stuff. Um, so there's a huge movement that brings people to where they are now. There's also a lot more little rules. So it's the old guard, which is called the old guard, is no longer like this. Like there were rules before. You could never top unless you bottom. That's where I came from. I bottomed a lot before I talked. But I bottomed to gay men. I didn't bottom to straight guys. I couldn't do that. The straight guy was the abuser. Mm, right. So I, I bottomed only to gay men. Uh, but now it's not like this. So it's much more out. Uh, also the trans movement, everything. It's all reaching out. It's all being mixed with Tantra and breathing. And, and I think it's great. I think it's, uh, there is still a lot of people that completely don't get it. I mean, come on. There is still people dying to Trump in America. Not that I can ever understand that. But there is still people that are not getting it. But, um, Everything is moving the way it's moving. There is a certain kind of maybe of sacredness that is lost. But for me, I want to put it back on. That's why I keep doing the ritual work, yeah. you see? Yeah. Like, you know, I teach a lot. That's what I do. We teach BDSM intensive, not just for professional, but for couples with and all of this. And I also teach privately in my own little dungeon, which is right there on the left. So with by practice, not just by sitting around and talking. First sit around and talk and then do it. And and always I put in that container that this is a ritual, this is sacred, this is build your intimacy. It's all about intimacy and trust building. And yes, people will make mistakes. And yes, don't blame each other. And but I think, you know, everything is evolving the way it's meant to be. Yeah. And for me, that there'll be more acceptance, yay. That more people understand that things are connected, that sexuality is connecting to spirit, is connected to, to family, that we can make our own family, that, you know, judgment and, and putting people down for being who they are is not a good thing. That's also why we keep the piercing school going. I mean, you know, I, I talk to the, I call them, they're not the kid. I talk to the young people, they're in their like 20s, 30s, sometimes 40s, who come to piercing school. Just about all of them are somehow black ships of their own family. And they're reclaiming that. They're like, I want to be me. That's what I want to do. I was judged. I was bullied. I was this. So it's all part of that movement. And I really, I'm really glad. You know, it's really strange when you look back at your life, like you're very young. I get certain freedom that you don't have, but I also, there is also, in a way, a lot more freedom. And I had a lot of loss that you haven't had, like when everybody was dying of AIDS. And, and there is also more hope. In, so it's, uh, I, think, I see everything on a spectrum, right? Mm, yeah. Makes sense? Uh, absolutely. And that it's interesting the sacredness that you're talking about and just my only point of reference or my major point of reference which is small because i've only been there a couple years is burning man which is interesting to watch the culture evolve there because i think it's beautiful that like it's becoming popular and like now everyone in the whole u.s knows what burning man is i think that's really positive and well, this is a perfect example yeah. 
because I was at all the beginning Burning Man. Oh, really? Way back. Oh, cool, cool. I know the guy who first lead the burn. Okay, yeah. The, the man who put the, the light on cool, it. Cool, cool. I know the man who created the, <laughs> nice. the, the walk with the lanterns. Yeah. The lamplight of Cam. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he was my boyfriend. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I was a burner way before. And now to me, it's too big. It's just too big. And I went, I went 10 times. Okay, 10 times I went to Burning Man, at least. But now it's, I'm, we're thinking maybe to go back one more time. And I don't want that magic to be lost. The last time we went was three years ago. And it was already starting with the walls of RVs, the walls yeah. of buses. And I really resented the wall of buses and the, the private camp for money. I mean, it was just like, no, that is not what Burning Man is about. Yeah. So that really gave me the creeps. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. No, totally. And I mean, that's the thing as like, as it reaches more people, the kind of like sacred essence gets diluted a little bit. Well, I have a friend who is like a fantastic SM player uh, with a taiko drummer. drummer oh, cool. And she was told that she couldn't come to an SM camp. Really? What's up with well, that? Probably because uh, she was older. I mean, there was segregation right there. So you see, really, we live in a place where it's ne never anything is black and white. Right. It's black and white and in between and all the different colors and more black, more white, more whatever, but it's, uh, I love Burning Man, absolutely. I loved it when I could be in my tent from Center Camp on my bicycle yeah. in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's a big city But now. I also love the art, you know, the article, the art expression is so phenomenal. So I'm thinking of going back again. But, you know, we all have to hold in ourselves what really is the most important. What really is our core? And to me, spirit and body connection and intimacy is what I want to have and human connection with people, you know. I want to be able to, to have a couple come to me and work with them and I want to give them a big hug at the end and I want them to, you know, to have an open space open our space with people. And I think that's what it was with Burning Man. We could have open heart space. And now I don't really know. And now you have to be a little bit careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, well, now we're into time now because I know you have to run in a few minutes. Um, and I'm just wondering, can you say where people can find you? And I'll post a link below and what reasons they might want to look you up. Uh, okay, so I have two websites and I'm also on Facebook. My uh, Facebook page is Cleo Dubois Academy. That's C L E O D U B O I S Academy A C A D E M O M Y. Uh, my website is www.sm-arts.com. I, I know I need to redesign it. I know it's old fashioned. I'm looking for somebody to do it. The SM Art website is about teaching workshops workshop for eight to ten, eight people about their in, the immersion workshop, their dominance immersion workshop for men, for women, and now we're going to do one for couple. That's that. Then my other website is my name, Cleo Dubois, that's C-L-E-O-D-U-B-O-I-S dot com. And that is my website for 
uh, private guidance, mentoring, uh, ritual, private ritual that people want, not for mistressing session. I am the dominant, I hold the space, uh, but it is only for couples or initiation or letting go ritual, grieving ritual, thing like this. Which, well, which would actually be really lovely to do some of that work with the one taste people. Because they weren't really kinky oriented, but they did, they did understand about the energy and how to work with energy. And all of that work is based on consent and energy. And um, that's all I can say. And I've been really blessed to be able to find my work. And I wish you the very best for your podcast. Oh, thank and, you. And maybe someday, if you ever come down the San Francisco Peninsula, just look me up because that's where I'm located. Cool. Yeah, I would love to take a workshop of yours at some point. Cleo, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, gosh, it was such a pleasure. You're such a joyful, charming lady, and it, I feel very fortunate that you were willing to share your wisdom for the past hour or so. Oh, that was great. I really enjoy doing this work, so take care. Hey, friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got something out of this episode. I know that I sure had a blast with it. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.